is a blessing for us to hear the next generation praising his name and lifting him up. That's the, uh, the desire of our hearts, you know, as those who are growing gray and getting older. The psalmist said this, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Lord, may that be our, our passion and our purpose. And may you energize us, Father, with that desire in our hearts that we might pass on to the next generation the glories of our great God and that they might declare in the, in the congregation the goodness of our God, the maker of heaven and earth, that they may proclaim to all who will hear that Jesus Christ alone is Savior and Lord until the coming of Christ. I pray, Father, this morning as we focus our attention on family and your grace to family, your choice to be merciful and compassionate, to work through the lives of people. May we pay tribute to you, Lord, as we honor our mothers, which is fitting and right in the Lord. May we reserve all of our honor for you, for you truly are worthy and you truly are the great God who loves us. So, Father, we turn this all over to you, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that every mom's heart here this morning is, is that their children might be walking in, the, walking in the ways of the Lord. And I know that in, in our gathering here this morning, there's a variety of realities. There are situations where there are women who would long to be a mom, and It just hasn't happened yet. There are some who perhaps have lost children and your hearts are broken. Some of you have children who are not walking with the Lord and that breaks your heart. Or you have prodigals and you're praying earnestly that God would bring them back to himself. There are a variety, I know, of emotions here this morning on any given Mother's Day. And I think the Lord has a word for you this morning. The Bible says that if... The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I believe that if the, if the prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective, then a woman who reaches God's ear is used of God to build mighty temples. Would you agree with me? Uh, you know, a temple is a place that advertises the God that it contains. And, and, and the Apostle Paul told us theologically that we are the temple of the living God. If you've come to faith in Christ, you are the temple of the living God. And so moms who are raising children are really raising and building temples that will advertise the reality of Jesus Christ. And, and if we were to take all of the great cathedrals in all of the world and, and, and bundle them all up together, they would not come close to the value of one person who walks faithfully with the Lord. And so when you think of your work as, as raising godly offspring, in fact, the scriptures tell us in Malachi 2.15, why the oneness of marriage? Because God desires godly offspring. What is the purpose of God? What is, what is his plan for us? That we would raise godly offspring. 
It explains the immensity of the task. It explains why the frustrations and the challenges and the obstacles and the thanklessness. It's not only difficult, it's opposed. You know that. You feel it, Mom. You know that. The enemy of your heart is opposing every good thing you choose to do in your children's lives. Every step of the way he fights you. You think you're fighting your kids? You're not fighting them. Our our battle's not with flesh and blood. Our battle's with principalities and powers in in the spiritual world. That's where your battle is. And the evil one is battling you tooth and nail in every possible way to fight the good thing you want to do in your children's lives. That's why we come together as a community and encourage each other hopefully cheer for each other and support each other. There's an unseen army that's seeking to undermine our families. And I want to share with you this morning that there was a woman in the scriptures who had to fight through all of this too. And I think she's a great example of of some lessons for us today. And a woman who does fight for her family, fight for her children, has a characteristic look about her. Would you turn with me to 1 Samuel I want to talk to you this morning about a woman named Hannah. For some of you, she's probably a real, a real hero in the faith, and rightly so, because Hannah's a great lady. And um, I've never looked, I've never studied the life of Hannah before, before this week, actually. And it's been very insightful for me to just peer into her life and into her heart a little deeper. I want you to know that when Hannah was walking on this earth, it was a time of extreme spiritual sloppiness. We won't take the time to to analyze all of that. We don't have the time to do that. But I would encourage you to give yourself some background in this. Um, It was a time that's described in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, uh, verse 1, where the the word of the Lord was rare. And the reason the word of the Lord was rare in those days is because there was no one that God could entrust to be faithful and, and and a faithful and righteous representative of who he was. There was no one who wouldn't let his word fall on the ground. And so it was a day when the, uh, the priests, in fact, the, the sons of the priests, were uh, extremely wicked. Clergy was a disaster in those days. They were using the offerings to fatten and enrich their lives. They were um, presumably, in, in return for blessings on women, they were receiving um, uh, favors from women. It was a horrible time. You read that in chapter 2. This was the time that Hannah lived in a family... Uh, under the name of Elkanah. It says in the text here in 1 Samuel verse 1, there was a certain man from Ramathium, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. I asked Lynn to read this scripture. She said, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> not, not really, but... <laughs> not really, but it, it was a good idea at the time. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. You already know something's not good right now. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. (laughs) Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, or the Lord of the hosts, he calls him, the Lord of hosts. Where Hophni and Phinehas, those evil priests I talked about, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. I want to stop right there for a moment. As I said to you, it was a time of extreme sloppiness. 
But this was a family, in fact, a backwater ministry family. Elkanah was a a, a Levite, and, and so they were a ministry family who were really passionate about God. Year after year, it says here, they were faithful in worship. Now, um, the women, Hannah and Penina, were faithful as well, going to worship with Elkanah year after year. But they, didn't, they weren't required of that. They weren't required to do that. They went uh, willingly to worship year after year. So clearly, uh, Hannah strikes us from the get-go in terms of the characteristic of a woman who makes a difference as a woman who worships anyway. She was childless. Longed for a child, but went to worship faithfully. Now, her husband was not without weakness. There's a little hint here for us that the name Hannah comes up first and then Penina. So we have to, I I think, deduct, and correctly so, that Hannah was his first wife. He married Hannah, and then it appears to us that he got tired of waiting on her to bear children for him. And then instead of waiting on the Lord, he went and married Penina. Now, it says in the scriptures, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. But those who hurry in front of the Lord are setting themselves up for significant trouble. And clearly, that's what Elkanah did. He took upon himself another woman and uh, brought her into his home. On top of the heartbreaking message that that Hannah had to endure of her childlessness, he, in effect, replaced her role as mother in the home of his own choice. And so we have Hannah, as we, continue to re- we will continue to read on, deeply disappointed and devastated, but she accompanied Elkanah to church anyway. Mark that out. You know why that's important? Because God took note. God is zealous about being exalted above all things, including our pain and our hurts and the things that are sitting in front of us every single day that pain us. It says in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give glory to another or my praise to idols. And so we find out that Elkanah really loved Hannah. As you read on, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters, plural. She had a little flock going. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And then notice this, and the Lord had closed her womb. Now, Elkanah loved Hannah, but wanted to further his standing in the community. He takes in Penina for an inheritance, his heritage, more than he wanted to protect her. That's important and devastating to Hannah. He loved her and he lavished favoritism upon her, but he could not make up for her longing to be a mother. And so she was distraught. Devastated, demoralized, discouraged, downtrodden. We could keep on going adjective upon adjective. One day, Elkanah, verse 8, says to 
his wife, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I'm picturing myself in a counseling session right now. I'm counseling Elkanah and Hannah. And Elkanah, you know, he's Mr. Mr. Uh, spiritual. He's got it all going, supposedly. And his, his wife, Hannah, is devastated and hurt and in pain and brokenhearted. And she wants a child. And he says to me, Elkanah says to me, pastor, counselor, I don't, I, like, I don't get it. I, I don't know why she's so devastated and all that. I mean, check me out. Look at the guns here. I mean, she's got me. Aren't I better than 10 sons? And I can just imagine like racing in between Han, Han and Elkanah and, and preventing her from breaking her Bible over his head. You know what I've learned, guys, in 3,500 years? We haven't learned a whole lot about how to handle women. <laughs> Talk about clumsy. I've learned something in my head, guys, but I'm not sure I've put it into practice very well. Don't go talking to Lynn about it. But I've learned when a woman is down and downtrodden and devastated and discouraged and all of that emotionally, don't try to fix her. Just comfort her. Because that's what she wants. And so Elkanah the Cad is not very comforting to his wife. But not only is he unrefined in his empathy, but she has another issue to contend with. Verses 6 and 7. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her till she wept and would not eat. And um, in order to irritate her. And it says in the text in verse 7, this went on year after year. Every time they went to church, Panina used the opportunity to provoke Hannah and get in the way of her worship and discourage her so that she wept and would not eat. Now, it's one thing to have a husband who doesn't understand you and is sort of an emotional cad, and now you have in your house this woman who follows you along to church and discourages you, a rival. This other woman, she added visuals to the disappointment, by the way. You see, when they offered the sacrifice, there was a sacrifice, of course, for the sin offerings, and that, did, that was used up. But then there was a, what's called the peace offering, and the peace offering was given back to the family, and the family was to consume that. And by consuming that, it was a symbolic celebration that the fellowship with God had been restored because their sins had been forgiven. That's precisely really what the communion table is all about. It's the peace offering where we gather together. God provides for us. We eat uh, of the symbols of our forgiveness with God. And we are restored in fellowship to God. That's the, the ceremony and the symbolism of it. Every time that took place, Panina tried to, to, to mess up uh, Hannah. Tried to discourage her. Reminding her as all the... Um, 
flock of kids are, are around her eating the sacrifice. Oh, look at me with all of my family here at church. All here serving the Lord. I think to myself, you know, we've got to be very careful about how we come across to one another. There are a lot of people in here whose hearts are broken because their kids aren't with them today, aren't walking with the Lord. Let's never get smug, ever, about the grace of God in our lives, setting up rivalries to hurt and pain people so that she wept and cried and couldn't eat. She's celebrating the restored fellowship with God, all the while she's knifing Hannah in the back. May it never be so in this congregation. The thing is that Panina had more children, but she had less love. And she took it out on Hannah because Hannah had something she wanted which was the love of Elkanah. She did everything in her power to make Hannah look bad before Elkanah and before the Lord. Year after year, adding affliction to the afflicted, taunting her that that heaven was obviously closed to her, that God was blessing me, but how sad he's not blessing you. How wrong we can be, by the way, in judging surface appearances, you know. And um, wrecking her worship time, which is particularly heinous before God. In 1 Timothy 2.8, God wants us to lift up holy hands without quarreling. Sometimes Satan shows up at church, you know. That's what you learn when you read the first chapter of Job as the angels presented themselves to God. You know who else showed up? Satan. You know who was showing up here? Satan. And all of this, I wonder if it didn't make her more noticeable for the favor of God because our God is compassionate and he reaches out to the downtrodden. James 5.11, as you know, We considered blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. A woman weathered by life will experience the special sunshine of God's love. Make no mistake about it. So she's a, in terms of her characteristics, she's a woman who worships anyway. She's a, a woman weathered by life. But instead of leaving church, she went deeper into the possibilities of setting a case before the Lord. Can you imagine? Notice verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, and we know that, that, that Panina has been driving the knife into her back. It says, once after that had happened, Hannah stood up, and now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, or Lord of hosts, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. I'll... I'll Encourage him. I'll move him forward, Lord, to be a Nazarite before you. 
devote his life to you. She feels forgotten by God. She feels misunderstood by her husband. She is bullied by a woman that she can't get away from. And as if that isn't all enough, watch what happens next in verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. The priest observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Can you imagine? (laughs) She thinks God has abandoned her. Her husband doesn't understand her. She's being bullied by a woman every time she comes to church, wrecking her worship. And now the man who's supposed to have spiritual sensitivity is passed her out of it. He doesn't get it. He accuses her falsely. You think this woman has been sufficiently tested and tried? I, I, think, I think all of us would have been, would, would have quite understood if she had have said, you know what, I quit. You know, if we read the next verse said, and Hannah quit. Hannah quit her marriage. Hannah walked out on God. I think most of us say, well, you know, that's not the choice that she should have made, but we sure understand it. Instead, verse 11, she says, I'll, I'll, I'll devote my child that you give me. I'll, I'll devote him to you. I'll, I'll dedicate him fully to you. And then she says this to pastor out of it. Verse 15, not so, my Lord, with all kinds of grace, I mean all kinds of grace. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. And I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I'm glad I'm not Eli. At least at this moment. I would say, would you, that Hannah is a woman of big hope. And a woman of big hope will not be disappointed. She calls on the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, do not forget me, Lord. The one who's infinitely resourced, she's declaring him by name, the Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, the armied Lord. Don't forget me. Remember me, the one who can resource And work on behalf of his people with full of hope. Eli answers, verse 17, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. I have to think that his insensitivity made the obligation of blessing her that much more urgent. Why did she have such hope? Her circumstances didn't change. I think what's amazing here, what's really something is that Hannah, by calling him the Lord Almighty, is convinced that the circumstances would change because she was convinced that she had reached the one who can change circumstances. She had reached the ear of God. 
And you know why she was convinced of that? Because God longs to be trusted. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait on him. That's who he is, a God who longs to be trusted. And twice in the text, it says the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah's childlessness had nothing to do with any spiritual waywardness. She was spiritually hot. She was a woman wholeheartedly serving God. But know this to you who might be hurting or in pain. God doesn't have a bad memory. God sees your situation. And so she prays. And it says early next morning, verse 19, she arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. She was no longer, it says her face was no longer downcast. She epitomized the theology of prayer in the New Testament. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. And so she was no longer downcast. She had reached the ear of God. It says in the text, she conceived and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel. Because I asked the Lord for him. Samuel means the name of God. Literally, she, she chose to name her son the answer to the question, who are you going to call? That's what she did. Who are you going to call? The name of God. Whenever you're devastated, whenever you're discouraged, whenever you you need someone to encourage you, whenever you need to be resourced, whenever you need someone to grant you patience, whenever you need someone to help you wait on the Lord, who are you going to call? She says, Samuel, the name of God. God has been faithful to me. God has given me this son. She's a woman of big hope, but finally... She made a big promise to God. You caught it in verse 11. She promised that if God would give her a son, she would give him back to the Lord. Oh God, if you bless me, I will definitely use the blessing to bless many. Who is qualified to receive something grand from the Lord? It says in verse 21, when the man Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go because she didn't have to go. It was not required of her. But she said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. I think she wanted to spend every last second devoting her life to her little son until she had to give him up. And Elkanah had grown, I think, and he says, do what seems best to you. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good. It says in my translation, his word, but I think a better translation is your word. Her husband prayed a blessing over her. He knew how hard this was going to be. Hannah, this little boy that you have set your desire on your whole life is now yours. And you promised to give him back to the Lord. And Hannah, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. I want to pray a blessing that God will give you the strength to follow through on what you've promised. 
the fourth characteristic of a woman God uses to build temples is a woman who follows through spiritually. She will be appointed to high callings. The hardest thing she had to do was give this little boy back to the Lord, I'm sure. You know, I have been with many parents standing at the front of this church. And you have walked up to the front of the church and stood in front of people and said, this little baby in my hands belongs to the Lord. He gave him or her to us. And Lord, we give him back to you. We give her back to you. In the back of our minds, we're not really counting much of a cost of what that really means, you know, at the time. But God will take you up on it, you know. And so when you stand there and you give your son or your daughter back to the Lord, then someday he's going to come and ask you, did you mean what you said? Did you really mean what you said? When when you said um, that you hoped that your son would become a, a medical doctor or something, and they came and they said to you, I think God's calling me to be a missionary. Did you mean what you said? When you hoped that your kids would grow up all around you and be in the church with you and, and, uh, and serve in the church and you realize that God is going to take them to the far corners of the world, God's going to say, did you mean that? Did you mean that, that they were mine? Did you really mean that? And as a church, we better pray a blessing over each other that we will follow through spiritually on what we've made, on the promises we've made to God. And so it says in the text that she got the best offering, a three-year-old bull, and took her little son after he was weaned. They're probably the same age, three, three. And she carted that little boy to Eli, and she gave him to the service of God. It says in the scriptures, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I believe God's eyes roam to and fro to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him because he's looking for the right DNA to bless and to strengthen a self-giving heart of total devotion. That's who God chose to entrust Samuel to. God was going to make changes in the whole spiritual climate of Israel whereby the word of God, not one word, would fall on the ground and he was going to choose a great prophet to do that. You know, the amazing thing about this this story is that Hannah so loved God that she never once considered bailing on God And never once considered not following through on what she had promised. I just want to say to the women in the church this morning, you may feel eclipsed by the long shadow of some other super women around here. But if you have built a temple or temples or are building a temple or temples that will honor the Lord, then you are doing a great thing. And I want you to know that God has determined 
that he wasn't going to do it except through you. You know, Hannah ends up being a short, tiny story, a, a preliminary story about the great life of probably the greatest prophet in Israel, Samuel, who ends up not really even knowing his mother all that well. How heartbreaking that must have been for her to have given that away. But she did it because her heart was fully committed to God. I want to, um, I want to close in prayer this morning. It just, it just seemed right to me as I was preparing this and thinking about this. To ask the question as we close this morning in prayer. What are you, mom, big hoping for? I, I said at the beginning, I don't know the situations in all that are, are represented here. Maybe some of you are longing and have been praying that God would bless you with a family. Maybe some of you have been praying and longing that God would rescue your children and bring them to faith in Christ. And maybe your heart is breaking. Maybe some of you have been longing before God day in, day out that the prodigal would return to the Lord. I'm going to ask everybody to stand as we close in prayer. And I, I, just, I just think it would be proper as we do that, as heads are bowed, that if you're a mom here this morning and you have an urgency in your heart about a situation with respect to childlessness or, or longing for your child to come to Christ, you felt so discouraged when you see other people whose children seem to be walking with the Lord, you're wondering, why aren't mine? And your heart's just broken or your, your child has wandered away from the Lord and you're just longing for them to come back. I'm going to invite you to come right down here to the front, right, right before, with an urgency of heart that I might pray a prayer of blessing over you. The same kind of prayer that I think was prayed over Hannah. That you would continue to follow through on what you've promised. Follow through on your heart of devotion to God and believe that he is the Lord Almighty. You come forward now, moms. You gather here. If your heart is breaking, if you have an urgent need for a a child to be prayed over, let let me do that this morning. You come forward. You come here. I'm going to wait for you to gather because I know there's lots of you in this place. Do this because your heart is urgent. Let's bring your children, your childlessness, your heartache before the Lord on your behalf. Let's pray blessing over you. You come. Our Father and our God, assembled before you this morning, our hearts, mom's hearts. Hearts, Lord, that are, have been reminded this morning that you are a great God and there is a great need in their life. A great need in a child's life. Lord, I pray for, I pray for that child that has that is not come to faith in Christ. Lord, I pray for these moms that are gathered here and their hearts are breaking every day. There's such an urgency in their lives. Lord, they come before you. They kneel before you. They cry out to heaven. Why won't heaven hear me? But Father, you're a gracious God. You're not willing that any should perish. And we pray, Father, a prayer of blessing over these moms that they would not 
give up praying. Hannah prayed and prayed and worshipped and prayed and worshipped and sacrificed and would not give up until you blessed her. Father, a childless mom's here. I've been praying for a child. Lord, bless them. You are the one who opens and closes wombs. You are the, the God, the maker of heaven and earth. There is nothing too hard for you. You're the Lord of hosts. You're an armied God. You're full of resources. Our Father, there are prodigals represented here. They have raised in the church. They knew their memory verses. They, they once served you. They once sung the songs of faith. No longer, Lord. But, but Father, that's not, this story is not over. You bring them back to yourself. You're the, you're the God who returns people to yourself. Oh, Lord, for the sake of these hearts, remember these women, Lord. Do not forget them. You are not a forgetful God. You remember, and you remember whenever you do, you remember to act on their behalf. Lord, we realize that so many of these things are a timing issue. It's just wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Lord, would you give them courage to, be, to wait? Would you give them strength? Lord, there's women in here who've been bullied by people. Bullied in the, in the sanctuary. Bullied in the presence of God. They've been made to feel like they, they, don't, they haven't done things right. Lord, the, the people don't know what's going on. Lord, I pray for them. Today, Father. Today, uh, lift up our hearts that we might no longer be downcast. That we might know that we have reached the ear of the God who can make a difference in our circumstances. May the women leave this place today encouraged as women of God that they serve the Lord of hosts who will help them because you love them and you are gracious and you are compassionate. It is to you alone we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.